gentrification sounds promising, but is it? What is it? How do we recognize it? And what do we need to be really, really careful about? Welcome to your first home buyer guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step. Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property and our where to buy workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise. Now we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. Today, we're tackling this thing called gentrification. It affects so many things, property prices, taxes, economic activity. And to help us unravel the topic, we're joined by the property professor, Peter Koulazos. Welcome, Peter. But before we get into you and gentrification, um, Megan always does this strange thing by choosing some odd house to have in her background behind her. For those who watch the video... Very quickly, Megan, what is it? looks like an office it's block, not a actually. House. But it's not a house this time. I thought since we've got the property professor on, we should have something very academically minded. And Ooh. this is, do you know where this is, Peter? It's the library no, in Geelong. No. So it's the um, Geelong Library and Heritage Centre. I love it. It's fascinating. It's such an interesting building. And it was actually, there was an old library building there, very boring, and they knocked it down and built this in the, the same, uh, basically the same footprint as the original building. So... Very interesting piece of architecture. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, the, my property program is actually in the School of Architecture and Build Environment, so I've certainly been exposed to a lot of architecture stuff whilst I've been here at Adelaide Uni, but that looks magnificent. Next time I'm, I'm in Geelong, I'm certainly going to check that yeah, out. Check so that's not out. part of Deakin University. That's the Geelong Public Library, is it? Correct, yeah, Library and Heritage right. Centre. Hmm, there you go. That is beautiful. It looks like a slice out of a soccer ball. Um, it's <laughs> <laughs> sort of concertina windows and it's very tall and uh, it does look very interesting and I have to say I was surprised to hear it's in Australia but not so surprised to hear it's in Victoria because I think they do do much more interesting architecture than they do <laughs> they in do New South Wales. And <laughs> I think they do some of the there. most interesting architecture in the country. South Australia is very conservative Um but Victoria is, especially the last 20 years, has been fantastic, the sort of buildings that they built, mm. the public buildings that they built, yeah. Although we do have the crumple paper bag in Sydney. <laughs> What's that? Oh, you'll have to find that one, Megan. There's a building. It's one of the oh, universities. On the it might be UTS. And oh, looks, I know the one, yeah. the paper bag. Yes, yeah. I know the one. It is UTS. <laughs> <laughs> so there you right. go. Maybe I'm we're going to get Victoria run for their money. <laughs> 
Peter, let's get stuck into it. There are so, so many self-titled property experts out there, but your unique skill is actually combining the theory of property investment with the more practical aspects to educate and help people plan more effectively. Now, Veronica, um, your first time by a guide, the first phase, preparation phase, has three steps, which is build your support crew, organise your money and do your planning. Um, Peter, we had David Johnson, your partner at Property Planning Australia on episode nine. Now, if you haven't listened to episode nine, strongly encourage you, do yourself a favour, go back and review that because that's a really important part. But today, Peter, we want to pick your brains about gentrification. What is it? Okay, so gentrification is the process whereby suburbs that were not highly sought after uh, become very much sought after. So it's like ugly ducklings turning into graceful swans so typically it was suburbs that uh, had maybe a high concentration of light industrial precincts, uh, blue-collar workers, low socioeconomic areas, but they transform. And, and two of the key ingredients for gentrification to occur is you must have a high concentration of historical buildings and you need to be very close to the city and or the water. So some, some classic suburbs that have already gentrified, so Queensland would be the West End. Mm. Uh, in Sydney, places like Balmain and Paddington, Melbourne, uh, Richmond and St Kilda, the inner west of Melbourne is certainly gentrifying now, just like the inner west of Sydney. So the inner west of Sydney would be suburbs like, say, Enmore and Marrickville. The inner west of uh, Melbourne is Footscray, West Footscray. Mm. Yarraville and Seddon, which have almost finished that gentrification process. And in Adelaide, it's places in the past like Norwood and Unley, but it, right now it's places like um, Torrensville and Theverdon. And when you talk about, um, hist- I love that, that there's two elements, historic buildings and proximity to the, either the CBD or, or coast. Mm. And, oh, yeah, water. So it could mm. be a river, could be... <laughs> Uh, a lake. Um, so because the gentrification process takes time, and we'll get to this, but also with historic buildings, with a house, it's obvious, like a row of terraces in Paddington you mentioned. You know, they're older homes built in the, in the Victorian era, and obviously there's a certain amount of appeal that happens when they're renovated, et cetera, et cetera. And then you've got apartments that be uh, converted from, say, warehouses, say, in Surrey Hills in Sydney, to bought one last night for a client in a converted warehouse. But then you've got places like New Farm and West End in um, Brizzy where they're older, they've got historical buildings, but there's been also a massive supply. So you've, you've got to sort of balance up what you're seeing happening with what else is happening in the areas, don't you? You certainly do. And I don't want to get gentrification confused with urban renewal. So urban renewal is where they knock down the old buildings or maybe there was nothing there. Mm. and they build high-rise apartments, whereas gentrification is upgrading the existing uh, buildings. So, Veronica, this place that you bought in Surrey Hills, Mm. do you know how long ago it was sold before you bought it? Yes, I do. It was, uh, actually, I should just put, I could pull up the spreadsheet. I think it was roughly 10 years ago. We do a a calculation. Do you want the exact numbers? Because I can give them to you. Well, well, it is uh, Wednesday morning. I may not be able to do all the numbers in my head, but <laughs> it'll be interesting, even though Surrey Hills is a great suburb, mm. right, and they bought themselves a historic 
building or a component of a historic building. The thing that drives capital growth is is land, and in particular where it's located. So it'd be interesting to do the comparison. All right, so, so this place here grew by whatever it was in that period of time. I'll tell you exactly right. how's this. I will give you the exact figures. So we're very much going down the data rabbit hole now. We're just going we? straight, we're out, straight there. Data is I... one component of property decision-making. <laughs> I'm just going to throw that right in there. But we'll get there. <laughs> just very quickly, It they bought it just over nine years ago for 850000 yeah. Uh, the median growth for two-bedroom apartments in that suburb since then was 87%. And okay. that uh, that took the projection, if you just based it on the median, to 1587, uh, 1.587. Um, I also do a benchmark against, well, if it could double in value in 10 years, what would that make it? And that would bring it to 1.606. And we did have competition on purchasing that property and we paid a sliver over 1.6 for it. Okay. Well, that, that's not too bad because for memory, I reckon it has taken Sydney seven and a half years to double in price, but that's house price, mm. right? So maybe over that nine-year period, it's gone up 110 120%. Um, but the point I'm trying to make is, to get a historic building is fantastic because we're talking about gentrification. Yep. But if that historic building can sit on its own block of land, yeah, that's even better. Now, I understand in Sydney it's very hard. Like to buy a house in Surrey Hills would be extra. Well, it'll be almost impossible for a first-time buyer. If you could, um, and if you could spend that much money on a house in Surrey Hills, it'd be a, a C-grade asset. Yeah. You know, yeah. Mm. So, but anyway, so we we hijacked the conversation. Sorry about that, Megan. <laughs> Let's get back so on topic. Kicking, and, and I think what you... <laughs> but really, really good information for everyone you, who's listening. So you're... And I drink my own Kool-Aid there. You know, I actually do do the analysis when we buy property for clients. But the thing that you, uh, you drew a distinction there, which I thought was really good, was that urban renewal is very different mm. to gentrification. Mm. And a lot of people, you hear a lot of property experts, and I'll put rabbit ears around the word expert, talking about growth areas and, you know, and, and that's what they they tend to be referring to, which is nah. urban renewal. Peter's and shaking his head furiously. Yeah, because yeah. Docklands, <laughs> not watching. Like, the Docklands in Melbourne is not gentrification, that's urban renewal. Yeah. Port Melbourne down the road is an excellent example of gentrification. People poured in the Docklands, most of them who sold it after it was brand new would have sold it for less than it was worth. Mm. But in Port Melbourne, it would be a very different prospect. It's like Sydney. Yeah. What's happened in, in Darling Harbour and nearby suburbs is not gentrification. That's no. urban renewal. But uh, places like Erskineville, mm. Newtown, Enmore, Marrickville, that's where gentrification is occurring. Yeah, yeah. Brisbane's really similar. You mentioned two suburbs, Veronica, that I, I just want to separate them a little bit. Um, West End, which, which Peter talked about. Um, but you also mentioned New Farm. I, I would I would say that New Farm has had significant gentrification, whereas the neighbouring suburb of Fortitude Valley has had urban renewal. Um, and the main reasons for that is that Fortitude Valley was largely industrial and light industrial, and those buildings have been knocked down and large apartment complexes have been built there. 
um, and largely around the um, older traditional areas, but there are very few character buildings in Fortitude Valley, mm. whereas the neighbouring suburb of New Farm, there's been an awful lot of gentrification there where a lot of the older residents have moved out, some of the lower socioeconomic, some of the lower incomes have moved out, and you've got money coming in and doing significant renovations to existing character buildings um, and, and really transforming those. So, Peter, I think that's probably a classic case of the difference with two suburbs of urban renewal versus gentrification. Yeah, look, I, I, we were in Brisbane actually a couple of months ago. I can't remember we went through New Farm, but certainly I reckon in Melbourne, at the, because they're only walking distance from each other really, mm. the Docklands and Port Melbourne yes. are an excellent example of the difference between the two. Yeah, yeah. And so we wanted you to come and talk to us so that we could really help our listeners to understand that difference because there's a lot of noise out there in the property space and a lot of opinions, a lot of people making a lot of money, and we want to make sure that, you know, you guys can all think clearly and understand the difference. So, okay, there's two things, the location of the suburb and proximity to the city and, and all water and historical buildings. What are the other things that we can okay. look for as evidence that an area is gentrifying? So can I start with the funny bits and then I'll talk about the serious bits? Please. Yes, please. All right. Okay. <laughs> so I've written an article called The ABC of Gentrification. Because I wrote it a while ago, I'm going to have to read from it, okay? So <laughs> okay we'll put a ABC, link to that in the show notes. A is for alcohol, B is for bikes, C is for coffee. So <laughs> if a suburb is full of traditional pubs serving only mass-produced beer like VB and Draft or 4X in Queensland, Megan, <laughs> it's probably not a gentrifying suburb. But if the pub only serves old-fashioned meals such as prawn cocktails and bangers and mash, it's probably not a gentrifying suburb either. If it's full of pokies and big-screen TVs with sport, it's probably not a gentrifying suburb. However... If the suburb has pubs and cafes and small bars which only serve craft beer, liqueurs, Aperol spritz, it's probably in a gentrifying suburb. If the pub doesn't have pokies or big screens but it has live jazz music on a Sunday afternoon, it probably is in a gentrifying suburb. And if the menu has ingredients such as avocado, kale and quinoa, then you probably are in a gentrifying <laughs> suburb. Love it. And coffee. B, B is awesome. for bikes. <laughs> If the bikes outside the cafe belong to mammals, which is middle-aged men in Lycra, <laughs> and they're riding brands such as BMC, Colnago, Specialized or Pinarello, you're probably not in a gentrifying suburb. Ah. If each individual's riding gear and bicycle is worth thousands of dollars, you're probably not in a gentrifying suburb. A gentrifying suburb will have different types of cyclists and bikes. Look for vintage bikes with a carry basket. If it's a female rider, she'll be wearing a dress. If it's a male rider, he'll be wearing rolled-up jeans and boots. If it's a fixie bike, which means it's only got one gear, you are definitely in a gentrifying (laughs) suburb. So you're suggesting that mammals ride a long way away from where they live? (laughs) Well, we do. Well, I'm I'm one of them. The reason we go for a ride is so we can have a coffee. That's the reason we go for a ride. So hang on. So we've done the A, we've done the B. The C is for coffee. So if... You go somewhere and they have coconut milk, almond milk, soy milk, uh, oat milk, um, and they have, you know, a range of organic teas, then you are probably in a gentrifying suburb. And if you are sitting on a wooden box, you are definitely in a gentrifying (laughs) suburb. 
I think they're great markers. Okay, that's the fun bit. What's the serious All right, now the serious <laughs> bit. All right, here we go. Here's the, here's the paper, right? Here's the paper. Now, so we're looking at demographics here, all right? Mm. This is the sort of stuff you can find from mm. the ABS pretty mm. simply. Mm. So there are four indicators that are early indicators of gentrification. So first-time buyers, if you can get into an area that maybe looks staggy now but is, is just starting that transformation process, then that allows you to get into a second, bigger and or better home in a better location in the future. So the, if you want to move, if your first home is not going to be your dream home, and it probably won't be, mm. but you have aspirations to move to a better home, then buying your first home is critical. Because if you buy the wrong first home, you'll probably be there for a very long time. It's almost so, like you've done our stepping stone strategy tutorial, Peter. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so first one, there's a decrease in the percentage of people aged 18 years and under. So gentrification <laughs> is a childless process. So it means that now there are not as many kids under 18 as there used to be. In addition, there are more couples without kids. So you'll see couples without children in the ABS stats. There are more couples without kids. The big one for me is, or there, there are two big ones, the next two are the two big ones. The big one for me is the amount of the percentage of people that lived at a different address five years ago. Oh, yeah. So it's oh, not like yeah. the people that live there suddenly become rich and they mm -hmm. fix up their character homes or period-style homes and do extensions on them. Mm -hmm. It's new people coming in. It's generally the older people or the, the blue-collar workers move out and the young white-collar professionals move in. All right, so there needs to be a shift in population. And the other very, very interesting stat is there is an increase in the proportion of professional females. Oh, interesting. Not let's, just let's professionals, but professional females. So when I say an increase, it's, the, it's an increase above the state average. So and, if and the state average what you, what, what for, uh, for an increase in female professionals was 2% and your suburb was 5%, that's one indicator. But you need more than one indicator to be sure that you're in the right area. Yeah. All right? Peter, can I, can I unpack that? Because that's a really interesting one and it's not immediately obvious. So why, why did you find that that was a, an indicator of um, okay. the process of gentrification? Because so I can take some guesses, but I'd rather hear it from the person yeah. that did Well, the there's research and then there's analysis. So the, mm. the research shows that. The analysis tries to determine why. Okay. So single people, right, single people don't have dependents. So therefore they have more borrowing power. All right. Now, single, if it was full of single males, probably tradies, Generally, tradies don't earn as much as white-collar professionals. Um, but if we, why male professionals didn't figure in the stats, I'm not sure. I'm not. But typically, because you have richer people moving in, the average income also increases yeah. anyway. Would but it, it also because there's if the woman is, and I know it sounds so, so bloody 1950s, but if the woman is also in a white-collar role, then the combined household income mm. is generally a lot higher and so therefore they can borrow a lot more to, to a, a, buy the property and B, actually renovate it. 
Yeah. And look, the other stat, and I'm not, I'm not sure of this yet because the ABS doesn't collect it, I don't think, but if you have same-sex couples mm. who don't have any dependents, then you have two incomes, no dependents, and, and we, we've certainly, oh, I've certainly seen that in the suburbs in Adelaide. Mm. The pink where we have, dollar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where we have a high proportion of gay couples and property prices go through the roof. Yeah. In fact, mm. Kent Lardner, who that, that we have, yeah, Kent, Kent's actually working in his sort of mock um, serious um, podcast or da- property data podcast called Suburb Trolls. Not sure if you've come across it, Peter. It's, I've it's heard a, of it, yeah. The good laugh. And Kent's talking about having the, oh, what's he call it? They get the, um, oh, I can't remember. Anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a gay metric for, sub- for, for price growth, um, which is all about that. It's all about that. It's, but it comes back down to um, educated white collar workers, mm. Doubling two incomes, no kids. No kids. Mm. Doesn't matter yeah. whether they're men, women, both. Mm. And look, some of the other very early signs are where the creative class move in. So the artists move into those older buildings because they oh, can't yeah. afford can't afford anything else. Because really being an artist should be is really a hobby rather than a, a job. Mm. Uh, so they can't afford much else. And, and then often you see until things you pass like away and then people want your art. Uh, and then you see things like murals on the electricity poles or some murals on public buildings. Um, <laughs> there are some other classic signs, and we don't have, you know, the time to go through all of them. Um, but if we're looking at the demographics, I've given you the four. There are, if you look at the research, there's about 20 indicators of gentrification, uh, but I look specifically for Adelaide, South Australia, where there are others that are more prominent in the UK or Canada mm. or the US. Um, but they're, they're just some. And I know, you know, we had a bit of fun with the ABC, but, you know, like if you, a, a classic for me is the Wheat Shift Hotel in Theberton. Theberton is one kilometre from the CBD of Adelaide. So you've got the CBD, the parklands, then it's Theberton, right? So the Wheat Shift Hotel in the past used to serve bangers and mash, the hotel up the road used to have topless waitresses on a Thursday night and it was, you know, beers for a buck or something. But you go to the Witchif Hotel today, the only beer you can buy is craft beer. The, brew, the, the pub has its own microbrewery. And so blue-collar workers can't afford to pay 10, 12 bucks for a schooner of beer, craft beer. Mm. You know, they want to pay six or seven bucks for a, a pint of VB or Forex. That... That's just one indicator, but a solid indicator that the area is transforming. No, it's a great indicator. I it mean, it is actually. You know, when you when you look retrospectively at some of the suburbs that have been through that process, you 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 can't you go, yeah, they, they are some of the well, primary. Veronica, Veronica's in Sydney would have seen lots mm. of suburbs, in particular the inner west. Bowmain is a classic. You know, used to be very much working class. High crime rate, certainly not like that now. No. So when I first um, was introduced to Balmain, actually, it was when I was straight out of school. I, I went to art college in Balmain, believe it or not. Oh, it was Roselle, but on the peninsula there. And so back in those, so that was the that was the creative typeface in the mm-hmm. in the late eighties, right? That was when you know it was full of writers and actors and and. Yeah. And that has absolutely changed because the successful ones managed to stay there and the, the, the unsuccessful ones had to move places like Marrickville. Then, <laughs> then Marrickville was like down, <laughs> everyone turned their nose down at yeah. Marrickville. And I think John McGrath was uh, quoted as saying it was a pattern to the inner west. Well, I tell you, anyone from the inner west went, what? 
kidding me? <laughs> and that was, but, you know, it's been accredited to him that basically he set off the gentrification process to Marrickville. Right. But the reality is it was mm. it was always going to happen. It's just that, that whole ripple effect of it. Mm. And there's a combination in Marrickville actually of that gentrification and urban renewal that you're talking about. It's a very big suburb geographically. But now it's classic. You talk about the, the craft beer and the, the we call it the hipster effect, right? Yeah, the hipster effect. Yeah. 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 How many how many coffee roasters are there and, uh, and, and small distilleries and uh, craft, you know, craft beer um, yeah. being made in a shed. So, you know, absolutely true. These are, we joke about, or you joke about the ABC, but the fact is that that's exactly uh, the evidence. But it takes a lot longer because the thing is with Marrickville, you know, that John McGuire article is some years old now and it's still in the process of gentrifying. So mm. well, how long it once take? off? I wrote my first book in 2008, 13 years ago, and many. so it was the top Australian suburb, so the best suburbs in Australia to invest in. And in 2018, 10 years later, I went back to see how good or bad my forecasts were. <laughs> and even though I didn't get, you know, 100%, I would have given myself a HD, high distinction, because it was <laughs> still a very good result. Like in Sydney, for example, I picked 20 suburbs, and though all 20 suburbs perform better than the average Sydney suburb. So I'm not saying that because I'm, you know, promoting the book. I don't think any exists anymore. Oh, you can probably buy it on Amazon, get an <laughs> e-book or something. But it's the, slightly the point, out of date now, though, isn't it? <laughs> no. I see, gentrification <laughs> takes a long time, you see. So many of those suburbs that I put in there, I would still be encouraging people to invest in. Gentrification takes decades, mm. 20 to 30 years, like, there's a, there's a book out there called Top Stocks, Top 100 Stocks. I've, I've never read it, but I would imagine that the stocks listed this year would be quite different to the stocks listed last year. But because in terms of gentrification, suburbs take a long time to transform, mm. you know, just because you've started seeing hipsters move in doesn't mean, oh, you know, you've missed the boat. Mm. You've still probably got 20 to 25 years of above-average growth to enjoy. This is such a key point, and yeah. I think Veronica's nodding. She wants to say the same thing. <laughs> you know, we do bang on a bit about the fact that it, it, you haven't missed the boat just because prices have started to rise and the process has started in an, an area. This doesn't just happen once. It's not a it's not a boom, done, over, find the next hot spot because we do not like hot spots. These are long-term investment opportunities that are going to probably you will turn over a property three, four times during the, the gentrification process with an average hold time of five to seven years. So so these properties actually will turn over. And just because you didn't get there when the hipsters started coming and the murals were starting to be painted on the, the light lampposts doesn't mean that that cannot continue its process. There's, there's still many, many properties to be renovated and upgraded and, and, and the older population or the lower income population move out and the, and the higher income move in. So, so I think that's such an important one for everybody to wrap their heads around when you're using this as one of the many tools in the planning process to think about gentrification. Um, but from your point of view, Peter, how, how can first-time buyers use information about gentrification to make better decisions? Okay, so you're going to have to do a bit of research. And as Veronica says, there's you know, a lot of so-called experts out there, and unfortunately many of them have a hidden agenda. Um, so I just gave you four stats to look at. So look at the ABS, and if you look at quick stats, 
have I got time to take them through the please. steps? Well, okay, I won't need to. Yeah, I won't share actually. my screen or yeah. anything. Yeah, yeah. A, please do. So, ABS. So if we go to the ABS website, Australian Bureau of Statistics, click on across the top of census, and then uh, to the left is a find census data, up? and then the first box is quick stats. So you go to quick stats, and then there's a spot there for you to put in uh, the suburb and also the year. So it goes back to 2001 if you want to, to see what's happened for the from 2001 to 2016. Next year we'll have the 2021 data. And then you go, all right, let's look at this suburb. You don't have to go back 15 years. Let's look at this suburb five years ago. And then let's look at the stat this time around. What, you know, have, have the, are those indicators evident? Are there less kids in there? More couples without kids? A higher percentage of female professionals? And has there been a big shift of the population? And you compare it to your state average. The quick stats will have what's happened in your suburb, what's happened in your state, what's happened in Australia. They're just for, and if you want some more, mate, we could, hang on, where are some more? Let me just see. Where's my paper? I mean, there are other overseas stats which I did not test in my paper, but they look at the, the percentage of people with bachelor degrees because generally if you have a degree, you earn, earn a higher income. Mm. I, then I looked at percentage of people with postgraduate degrees. Um, then you look at percentage of people that own their homes as mm. compared to rent their homes. So there's many different indicators. But if you look at those four, and if you Google my name in gentrification, you, you'll probably find some other articles that I've written. And it's not just about the alcohol and the bike and the, the <laughs> coffee, but there are other signs. We'll pop some links in the show notes as well. Okay. Um, I think that it is it is interesting too, the the percentage of owner-occupier versus, I mean, we we have run a, a where to buy tutorial for investors recently uh, or workshop recently and we, we've got the tutorial available on the website. And in that we go through one of the things that we look at is CIFA scores. So that's a socioeconomic um, indicator What's the CF stamp for Australia? <laughs> I think it's called. Um, and, you know, and that's all ABS data as well. So there's lots of clues that you're getting that. But I, th I love the fact that you've actually isolated these particular um, these particular markers to see what's happening. And it's a change and you're looking at over time. It's not just one snapshot now. It's like this is the, the changing because that's what we're trying to look for is evidence of that change. Love that. One um, thing, if I could just point out, Veronica, about the yep. ABS data, it's not just enough to look at it on your computer. And if it's going to be your home, one assumes that you're going to have a look at the mm. suburb itself. But, you know, you could easily have an increase in couples without children if there were two or three aged care facilities built in oh, the area. Oh, yes, in the last yes. <laughs> You've got to watch so, the spread of ages. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you need drive around, drive around the suburb, see what's happening. 100%. And yeah. this is actually what we Nothing tell everybody. Feet on the ground. Once you've narrowed it down to your suburbs, go and learn what the locals know about that mm. suburb because the locals will not buy some properties. They will not buy in some streets, you know. Yeah. So it's many mistakes are made by those fly-in, fly-out buyers agents who who do all this data and they they might they might even come up to the right conclusions in terms of location they also may not and then they fly in without actually knowing anything about that local stuff 
So that's so important. Mm. So, Peter, I remember the first time I came across you and your gentrification work was in 2018 and you did a talk, gave a talk at the REBA conference, I think it was. I did too. I remember that. Yeah. Right? That was in the days where we could physically go to the same. Go to a conference. Be in the yeah, same room. Be in a room with people. <laughs> that was phenomenal. Robin and I, remember, I haven't seen I remember, each other physically for 18 months. No. <laughs> and I remember that you Longer. you were brave enough to, to, to go back and say, right, 10 years later, yeah. were my predictions correct or not? Now, I do also remember that, yeah, predominantly they were correct. And so that's, that's good back testing because there's a lot of experts out there that are making all these predictions without actually any back testing. Um, but the one... I does I am reminded that the one area where you've I would say you failed. I um, did big F. Big was, F was what state was that, Peter? Perth, Western yeah. Australia. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I got five out of the twenty right, but it it reinforced to me something else that I teach or when I'm talking to investors or people looking to buy property. Location is so important, and I if you're looking for capital growth, proximity to the city. All the sea is important. Mm. The most important is proximity to the city because the five suburbs that I got right in Perth were all close to the city. Right. The other 15 were uh, seaside suburbs, lifestyle suburbs, and when the mining boom finished, so did the growth in those suburbs. Mm. So what I say now is close to the city or very close to the sea, which Mm. is like Esplanade. Yeah. Because there's only one Esplanade. Like Mm. you've got a limited supply. Mm. Guess it is, And the other thing it reinforced, and I know this probably may not be popular with first-home buyers because this is probably all you can afford, (laughs) houses are better than units. Mm. In the vast majority, in the vast majority of the suburbs, and I picked 107 suburbs, and when I say vast majority, it would be like 90%, houses outperformed units. Because one of the reasons is because houses have a good size land component, yeah, and it's the land that appreciates in value. Um, but we need we need to I need to define what a unit is. All right, so units include apartments, which are small dwellings and high rise uh, buildings, as well as the old 1950s, 60s flats. All right, if you can't afford a house, if the if you can't afford a house by yourself an older style flat or unit. If there's only one thing you remember from my being on this podcast with Megan and Veronica, you are never, ever, ever going to buy an off-the-plan apartment <laughs> or a brand-new apartment. Never, ever. We did not prime Peter to say that. We did not. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's what we say all the time and that sometimes. academia at its best there. <laughs> there you go. coincides with practicality. Uh, <laughs> one, one thing I do want to ask, though, Peter, because this gentrification process, it isn't just about cities, is it? Because you've got no. regional towns. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so does the same process apply? Yes, it does. I mean, the, the town that really comes to mind in South Australia is a little town called Road. Before I was a lecturer, I was a school teacher, and that was 30 years ago, 35 years, 40 years ago, my God. I taught, I lived in Rope to teach. And I mean, I've been going back since then, but probably I haven't been back for 10 years. But Rope today, Rope used to be a place where farmers would go to to go buy their goods, right? The surrounding farmers, uh, farmers would come and retire, and it was a holiday place. But now it's like the surf coast of Melbourne. 
very expensive shops, very expensive restaurants. And it's not like the people in Rome have suddenly become richer, right? <laughs> it's because richer people go there to holiday. It's like mm. the phenomenon that's happening in Hobart at the moment. It's not because people in Hobart have suddenly had a huge increase in wages mm. and they can spend more money on property or people in Hobart have different lending criteria to the rest of Australia. <laughs> it's the richer people from the mainland that are buying in Hobart. So, but to get yeah, to go back to your question, Veronica, uh, it does happen in regional areas. Newcastle is a classic. Mm. New, and there are two suburbs. Cooks Hill and Merriweather, Cooks Hill. Perhaps? I was going to say, it's got Hill. Yeah, Hill yeah. is one of uh, There was the word Hill in one of them, mm. and there's one other. I can find out for you, but Cooks Hill is certainly one of them. Yeah. And the whole town, I mean, it used to be focused on, you know, mining, mining. coal mining in particular, mm. but it's got a university there, it's got a hospital there. It's, it has certainly transformed. It's got yeah. beaches. My undergraduate degree in Newcastle when BHP was still there, so early 90s, Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I went back to visit about 10 years ago and the, the, the entire city was a completely different look, feel, mm-hmm. and, and, and Cooks Hill was a really good one. Merriweather, I think you mentioned, Veronica, um, also a beachside suburb and near to the city. So there's there's an awful lot all the way along the ports there where it's been beautiful. Yeah, I was, what's the name of the wharf? It's not Canary Wharf. Honeysuckle. Honeysuckle. Well, you were named after a bird. Honeysuckle, not Canary. <laughs> Canary Wharf's London. <laughs> it is, which has also improved yes. significantly. That's yeah. a gentrification story, that one. It certainly is. It certainly <laughs> is. So I think this has been a, such a great chat. We've really, really appreciated you coming on, um, Peter, and stepping us out of that. We will pop in some of those links uh, for your articles because this is really, it's just solid stuff. It's like it's, stuff. It, you mm. can't go wrong if you actually approach evidence-based research as opposed to I'm trying to sell you a dream <laughs> research. But it's putting the two things together, and I think that's the really important thing because data on its own is a very, very, very misleading tool to make a decision about property because oh, yeah. there are so yeah. many other aspects, you know, the human, no, the sure. behavioural, the local knowledge, you know, the, the actual individual property selection. So data in and of itself is just one of the many tools to be used effectively. So, Peter, I really want to ask for, for everyone that's listening, what are some of the warning signs that you might be going down the wrong path in trying to pursue or find an area that's gentrifying as part of your, your process? Right. Don't buy in an area where there's a lot of developers building high-rise apartments. Because even though you may not be buying that high-rise apartment, mm-hmm. it's, it's actually going to slow down your capital growth. Mm-hmm. And, right. I mean, you can obviously see that happening, but even if you look at the demographics, you know, if the suburb population went from 3,000 to 6,000, right, it's not like twice as many po- people moved into the same number of properties, they built twice as many properties, mm. all right? So you can check it out, demographics, but also by visiting there. And, I mean, I know, look, unfortunately many people in real estate sales don't have a good reputation. So you've got to ask yourself, this person that is trying to push me to buy this house, do they have a hidden agenda? Maybe they're getting some other commission from the developer, Um but I, look, if you can if you can buy a property that has some land component, even if it's a townhouse, or if it's you know in a block of units, but there's only ten in the group instead of 110, um, then you're on the right track. But you know, speak to locals, find people that you trust, listen to. Uh, I mean, people people used to read books in the old days. Now they just listen to podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> listen to podcasts of people that are not pushing some other agenda. And, uh, 
you know, I've given you my tips. Go listen to somebody else and see what they say. They might differ. They might be exactly the same. Um, but it's really important that your first home purchase is a good one. Otherwise, you won't be moving up that property ladder. That's exactly right. Now, Peter, as one final question, is what is the one thing that you know now that you wish you knew as a first home buyer? I should have listened to my father and bought earlier. Ah, interesting. Okay. And you do have a Greek oh, background, I'm guessing, from your surname. Correct. And <laughs> it's very much around owning property, right? It is. But many new migrants, when they come to Australia, whether they're from Southern Europe, Asia, Africa or India, Australia really is the land of opportunity. In, in many places in Southeast Asia, you do not own freehold property. Mm. It's leasehold. Mm. China, mm. Hong Kong, Singapore, it's all leased from the government. You come to Australia, it's your property. Unless Nobody you buy in Canberra. Or Mount Isa. True. Very, <laughs> very good. Heavy. Yes, very there, good there are leaseholds in other locations as well. <laughs> but I think Canberra has 99-year leaseholds. Yeah, yeah. Explain to me then, Veronica, why are Canberra property prices so high even though you can't buy a leasehold? Yeah, well, there you go. There's, there's. Mm. I don't know the answer to that. That's I know the answer. Well, good. Tell us. Tell us. Because the incomes are so high in Canberra. Ah, because the government is, mm -hmm. you know, what a safe employer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Two of my kids work for the federal government <laughs> and they both lived in Canberra. So I have a pretty good knowledge of Canberra, despite the fact you're buying leasehold because people earn so much money. I guess I guess mm. the, what's the real risk they're going to sort of take it, you know, take up the, the government's not going to take up their option at the end of 99 years and kick you out, are they? I think that, yeah. so I think to all intents and purposes, people um, feel like they're buying land, even though they probably aren't. Well, they aren't, but <laughs> they're buying the rights to occupy. Correct. Anyway, Peter, that's fantastic. Really appreciate your time. And, um, yeah, what a great episode. We'll have a lot Thank of Thank you very we'll much, Megan. Veronica, really Really enjoyed being on the show. And remember, never, ever buy an off-the-planet apartment. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> In this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first-time buyers. If you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, www.homebuyeracademy.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be wonderful. It will help others find us as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff.